This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, a progress company. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Greg Levenhagen. Levenhagen, yes. Levenhagen. And Sam Basu. And hey. we are live at Build 2016. This is day two. And uh, Greg, we're going to talk to you a little bit about the HoloLens. I heard you're getting a dev kit. I am. I uh, got a confirmation order yesterday. Uh, it's been a been a crazy month after knowing that I, I learned about uh, uh, acceptance into wave one early March and I had to wait a few weeks to get the uh, actual order slip they kind of had a convoluted process there but uh, you know three thousand hundred and fifty dollars later they say three thousand but you got to add the tax of course right and then uh, next week I should be getting it so really excited about that so Greg is uh, my fellow MVP in from the Windows uh, from the Windows group. So Greg has always been hardcore on some of these Hololens and IoT things. What excites you about uh, Hololens? What you saw from the uh, build keynote uh, yesterday? Yeah, so I th I think it in in the high level is the next evolution of the kind of natural user interface that we see. So a couple years ago, I was really big into the Connect. Uh, you know, it didn't quite take off in in the consumer market, but we see a lot of the Connect technologies now make it into like Windows Hello mm -hmm. and into the Connect. I, I'm sorry, into the Hololens, yep. uh, and the APIs, you know, kind of spreading around. And so, with that next evolution of that, and particularly the Hololens being augmented reality, I think is has a good potential to be a game changer compared to the tethered virtual reality devices that we've already seen over the last couple of years. And it's interesting that it could actually be a game changer for enterprises. Yeah, so I actually think, and as we saw it last year and I got to play around with it, um, my first impression was that really engineering, architecture, manufacturing, medical, those type of enterprise scenarios, I think are gonna be leading the market more so than uh, games and whatnot, at, at least up front. Yeah, and, and we saw Case Western using HoloLens for starting the human, human anatomy. NASA is using it, uh, Volvo and Audi and all of these guys are on board. Yeah, and, and so the, you know, they, they showed a slide on the keynote with a bunch of companies that have already gotten involved as kind of like the first-to-market pre-sale stuff. Well, what was interesting is hidden in the middle of that was the creator of AutoCAD. Hmm. Well, that means that if they're adding support in for that, a huge portion of the world's engineering is going to be able to take their existing 3D models. That's right. And, and I don't want to speak too confidently on it, but hopefully they'll be able to take their existing 3D data and start using that with, with low friction into HoloLens. And particularly, it's like I live in the Midwest in the United States where we've got a lot of manufacturing base. And we already have clients that we're talking to as a, as a consultant where we've got interest for you know building up plants, uh, assembly line type things, even automotive parts, where that's going to help with sales, design, troubleshooting, where you're going to be able to be essentially on the shop floor and walk right in the middle of the of a rendered body, right? That's yes. cool. So I was talking to a gentleman yesterday in line. He was waiting to uh, try out the HoloLens, and they're already working with augmented reality on the iPad. And what they're doing is they're scanning like a QR code to get the spatial recognition because they don't have that with the iPad like the HoloLens does. And then it pulls up the CAD data for some heavy equipment and then shows it, um, a maintenance person how to deconstruct the equipment and fix whatever the problem is. Yes, and so what's awesome about that, it is, it, it is an augmented or, or mixed type of reality there. But the distinction there, that, and it's a pretty important distinction, is 
although it's three-dimensional data, it's still being rendered to a 2D projection. And it's also important to note that HoloLens will do both 2D and 3D. So like your existing UWP apps, uh, the universal Windows platform apps, you'll still be able to use those and, and watch you know, two-dimensional movies. But here now we can talk about having multiple apps. So you can have like say three 2D apps pinned up on the wall but then also have a 3D model of your object or whatever like they were interested in. So like say it's a service manual for your engine or your brakes, right? And you've got it pinned the PDF there and then you can have the three-dimensional model of your brake system and pull it apart so like you can actually follow through. So the, it's, it's not just a 3D only and it's not just the 2D projection. You, you really have the best of all of those worlds together. Right, so I was gonna bring this up. So you and me are fond of UWP apps. Yep. The Universal Windows Platforms uh, Promise and it's like right once and run everywhere, uh, at least on the Windows stack. And I mean, with Xamarin, we might eventually be able to run that Yes. Platform. Um, but so how do you go about building a HoloLens app with UWP? What's the story like? So as of right now, um, when you're talking about the, the UWP apps, you're largely going to be looking at uh, the two-dimensional apps. So okay. it's not going to really take much work at all. Like it, it's going to be very minimal for you to add HoloLens support within your universal app. And that's the set, same to be true with now them opening up uh, yesterday during the keynote, they announced the Xbox dev kit switching for That's retail Xboxes. Yeah. And so the same kind of line where the UWP apps will work in, in HoloLens and work in Xbox. So where the, the, the change is, is if you really want to do that true 3D stuff, right. then you're going to need to do a little bit more uh, extra work there. Um, and, and so when we, when we talk about what is that difference, you know, from my limited experience at this point, I'm going to say that it's probably gesture-based. Um, so, like, you've got the... the the, the bloom kind of yep. gesture where you take your hand with your fingers together and you expand them you all know, at once. The, the tap. And the, the bloom, tap. All those yeah, things. Like, so adding support for that is really what you're talking right. about. And hopefully you get those things out of the controls and they're yes. eventually baked into the SDKs. Yes. So, yeah, the, you're going to get those out of the APIs and then you can have your own gesture building as well. Um, and, you know, and so I want to follow up on that with the 3D stuff. You're largely looking at Unity, um, which is, you know, providing a, essentially a three-dimensional or and two-dimensional game engine under underpinnings, so you don't have to work worry about a lot of the you know physics engines, um, even the sound stuff, um, and you know collision detection things like that, which makes it really nice. And uh, so now now my brain's kind of going. I, I'm now thinking about the Dolby stuff. So Dolby's one of the partners here uh, downstairs in the booth, and Dolby has now has direct support within the UW Windows platform, and it also has direct support within Microsoft Edge. So that means if you now have your recordings done in the right codecs for that, you don't have to, we don't as developers have to do anything special anymore. And uh, if, I'm, if I have my platforms right, I think iOS added it maybe two months ago, and then Dolby's trying to get it with Android. So now we're starting to hear about, you know, stereo sound and actually getting that within our apps. Because the HoloLens isn't just visual, we also have that spatial sound. That's true. Yeah, that was something I was going to ex actually expand on. Um, I did a demo here at Build uh, where you are supposed to be walking on the surface of Mars, and one of the things that caught me by surprise is how good the sound effects are on the HoloLens itself. The speaker system, uh, you can hear what's going on, and there were 10 of us in the room, and it was very hard to make out what was going on on other people's HoloLenses. But you could hear yours yeah. very it, clear as day. It's a full-blown Windows 10 computer, and if you, I mean, if, if it has the right uh, woofer systems, you're going to have good sound. 
Yeah, I was I was fortunate to play. There. They had an alien game where the Hololens you you stood in an existing room and it mapped the room's walls, and then aliens would all of a sudden break through the wall and start coming at you in three-dimensional space. And so you then had to essentially dodge out of the way so that they couldn't hit you and you could fire back at them. Well, in a three-dimensional world, you have to realize that aliens can come through the wall behind me. And so the only indication that I would have would be the like kind of crackling of the wall. And it was so good that it wasn't like I just had an idea behind me. It was like, okay, you know, if a 360... Uh, degree view you know I'm like okay that's at you know 10 degrees to the left behind me kind of thing where it was really that accurate so it's very impressive sound so do you anticipate existing UWP apps to be ported over to HoloLens I do okay I do and and largely because I think that that story with with the tap and the bloom I think there's going to be some I'm hoping that there's some kind of easy transition there because the existing apps in the store so Microsoft mentioned yesterday that we'll have a unified store between uh, Windows, uh, Xbox, uh, yeah, all of store. that. So, so I think that that story has to be solved yeah. with little developer impact or, or maybe no developer impact. So, um, you know, it, it's it's got to work like that, I, yeah. I, th I think, for it to really be successful. Now, remind me, I'm, maybe I'm trying to wrap my head around this. So existing UWP apps, we could package them up and they're just like available on the Xbox, right, as a dev kit? Yes, they can. Um, so it can get into a little bit of technical, uh, more than we probably want to get into. But it, I'm not sure if it has to be re like engined again or not. But from what I understand is on the Xbox, there's six cores and four cores dedicated to like the pro games. Mm -hmm. And then two cores dedicated to like the Windows 10 components, which okay. were rolled out end of last year to all Xbox ones. Right. And so then those UWP apps should run in... The Windows 10 cars, piece right, as is, right. right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, really want to believe in this store, uh, unification story. Yeah. I'm just a little hesitant. Like, for example, like the Xbox is a very, very consumer device. And like you and I know that Windows Store has some crappy things. And I, yes. I don't want to see some of that on the Xbox. Correct. Or, or the HoloLens, for well, that matter. You know, one of the challenges, too, is, is going to be the games. Because the expectations that end users have with a console... If you download a game through like, um, you know, the Xbox games, like official kind of thing versus a game that's just deployed to UWP for Windows 10, you know, it doesn't go through like the same ESRB or whatever the international ratings yep, are. Right. Yep. So there's expectations for parents uh, mm -hmm. setting up parental controls and what their kids can see. So. I'm interested to see how that all yeah. shakes out as well. Yeah, the console, the HoloLens, I mean, these are slightly different frontiers to take your apps, and it'll be interesting how, they, how things shake up, shake up. Yeah, that you know, talking about those two together, too, it'll be interesting to see whatever price point the consumer HoloLens comes out at That's true. Uh, in order for that to make it into people's living rooms eventually, right? So like I said, I think it's going to be more successful in the enterprise up front, but once production costs or manufacturing costs and all that kind of, you know, uh, gets itself, you know, lowered. I think that, uh, you know, hooking it up to an Xbox uh, or, or it, and I want to be clear, I guess, you don't tether it, right? But just having it work in unison with an Xbox in some fashion right. would be really cool. Yeah. So you, overall, are you excited with what you saw at Build this year? Yeah. Um, you know, besides, besides some of the stuff we were just talking about, um, one last thing, I guess, on that, there's now double-click install for UWP apps. That's not necessarily an end-user thing, 
but uh, you know, in the enterprise and, and kind of client services world, that's a that's a big win for installing. So, uh, so now you're talking about uh, just UWP apps or like legacy apps, .NET or Win32 apps? Just just the UWP apps, so like the .AppX packages. Like every, Microsoft would always call it side loading, which kind of is a name that has negative connotations. That's but, right. But basically, if you wanted to have a UWP app not go through the public store, like so you wanted it for your it's business. like a private distribution market. Yeah. So now you can essentially have it on somebody's desktop, whatever. Just the user can double click it, and now it's installed. Oh, that's interesting. I, I didn't notice that. Yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's a big thing that was kind of slipped under the covers there. Um, so that's exciting. And, I mean, as, as we talked about, like you and me have dealt with enterprises and yes. um, heartland companies with a lot of legacy code and lots of .NET and Win32 um, kind of assets, and now all of them can be brought over as modern desktop apps, which is pretty yes, exciting. because of like Project Centennial finally being, I, I think it was officially announced live yep. um, yes. yesterday, so that, that's a big win. As well as what they announced in there is essentially that the vast majority of the WinRT components, the, the way they phrase it, I, I don't have the exact quote, but essentially the whole WinRT API is now available to any Win32-based app. Yes. Which means that, at least in my mind, as I'm going to start developing new apps on the Microsoft platform, I'm probably going to target UWP first. And until I need to then break out into something in Win32 specific, then I'm not going to need to, right? That's right. Yeah. And that way, you can still have a better and common user experience uh, by targeting UWP first and then only using the Win32 as needed, rather than having a kind of a dichotomy between a UWP and a, and a you know, uh, true Win32-based app. Yeah, yeah. You know, we did a .NET developer survey just a couple of months back, and we just actually published the results. It should be out there um, on, on Teller.com. One of the interesting things we found in our results were we asked people, what, what would you pick right now if you had to build a Windows desktop app? And the answer, I mean, it doesn't really surprise us, but it's overwhelmingly WPF or WinForms, and then UWP comes in like third. Yes. So maybe it changes a little bit after these announcements. It might. It, it's interesting. So I think it was probably a year and a half, maybe even two years ago, I did a blog post where the title was just, is WPF dead? I still get uh, several hundred hits a day on it. <laughs> I'm sure. Where people are, and, and I really, I pointed to, uh, part of a build keynote where Googs had done something, I think, last year or whatever, yep. and then pointing to how .NET 4.5.2 had announcements there, but Microsoft just wasn't really giving it a lot of love. Right. And um, there are uh, plenty of passionate people around WPF, Correct. and there's and there's touch, and there's, there's plenty of businesses enterprising running on WPF. Right. And I think the reason why you just don't hear a lot of love at something like the build conference here is because they view it as kind of a, a pretty stable platform. Like if we think about it, we didn't hear a lot of love during the keynotes about C Sharp as a language, but that's yep. just because it's now become a more mature language, right? right? Yep. Three, four years ago, there yeah. was still, you know, adding Lambda expressions and stuff. So it was getting tons of love as new features there. Right. So yeah, WPF, I don't think is going anywhere. No, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's in like maintenance mode. It's just, it's mature, like you're saying. Yep. Correct. They're still adding new features, um, you know, still taking care of uh, things to make, make it easier for us as developers as the enterprise environments continue to change. Yep. Now, what about IoT? You excited about IoT? You do anything around IoT? <laughs> I am. Uh, I've got a couple clients doing doing some stuff. Like I said, manufacturing. So we're, you know, we've got a lot of, uh, you know, warehouses, distribution centers, kind of, you know, where we've got a variety of uh, devices that are 
looking at you know predictable failure methods, um, you know what what kind of status updates they have, um, and you know I, I joined up a, a group here that, that uh, it's called Mappa. Uh, I think it's the Microsoft. Um, uh, now I can't remember, but it's Mappa. M A P A. Microsoft uh, Architecture or Azure Practicing Practicing uh, Architects. Anyways, you, anyone can go join it, and what it does is it helps provide extra cloud architecture resources. So I've been part of that group for a while. We had a meeting in Chicago where a bunch of the uh, cloud uh, partners for Microsoft got together. So like my company had won uh, Azure Central Partner of the Year. So we went down there, we talked about it. We talked about a lot of people doing high-end IoT, you know, stressing out Azure. And it's interesting to hear what other people are doing, bouncing those ideas off each other, because we're all moving so quickly at this. You know, when, when the Azure team is rolling out new features every three or four weeks, there's been times where I've gone to clients, there's been times where I've gone in the public and given presentations on Azure, and by the time I get to the portal from when the time I prepped <laughs> right, my, my talk, the portal has literally changed. Right. And, uh, you, know, you know, that gets interesting, and you, and you just got to learn to roll with the punches. But uh, the phenomenal aspect of it is over the last five years now, I've never seen it actually take down anything in a negative way or, or, or pull legacy support. It's just always adding new and right, better right, support. Yeah. And it's interesting that IoT has a major play with Azure. It's almost always together because you're collecting a huge amount of data. So the IoT services and the service fabrics that they talk about, uh, I think there was something about IoT at the build uh, day two keynote as well. There is something new. Correct. And you're right. Yeah. Before that, uh, yeah, I got a good point on the keynote. But before that, the, a lot of people look at that IoT obviously is kind of a buzz buzz phrase but you're right there's the devices that generate the data but then there's largely the cloud that has to do something with the data and put it into reports so you know we've got labs going on here at build you know helping with people get it on raspberry pi and get uwp apps on them but those are really just the things generating it it's really what are you going to do with the big data right. and i think this is where some of the other stuff like the machine learning comes into play where you're just Absolutely. chunking through so much of data and trying to take intelligent decisions with bots or the co cognitive services. Yeah, so <coughs> a lot of people, you know, when I first have those conversations with them and they say, well, how does Azure help with IoT? And then they had mentioned this, this is the point I wanted to make on, like they made in the keynote was, it's really several things. So there's uh, event hubs, notification hubs, streaming analytics, you got Power BI for reporting stuff. Um, and, and it's really kind of taken all of those things together that really make it like an IoT suite, if you will, and, and it really complement that big data piece. What's really impressive about all those tools is they've enabled developers to actually use them. You don't have to be this, you know, rocket surgeon <laughs> of, a, of a data scientist to understand how all these things work. They actually have great abstractions where you can get in there and use them as a developer. It's very true because, you know, what it... You know, we've we've heard a lot of different terms on that in that field over the years, where it, there's been data warehousing, data mining. Excuse me. Uh, and then we've had you know more recently a lot with business intelligence and then machine learning. Well, when it comes down to it, that machine learning and a lot of those algorithms that are in there, a lot of it, from what I see and what I gather, is a lot of uh, algorithms that artificial intelligence has provided us for decades. But now they're available at our fingertip where we don't have to implement them and we can kind of trial and error on some of our data to actually get something meaningful. And it makes it so easy. I, I fully agree. It makes it way easier for the developers to consume. Yeah, like the Azure machine learning part has a drag and drop interface for 
using different machine learning learning algorithms. And then uh, the demo they showed uh, on Keynote Day 1 of the Cortana uh, integration where you can get the natural language interface up and actually map words to meaning. Uh, yeah, so really that... amazing stuff. Yeah, that was an interesting piece with uh, what, what Microsoft is terming as kind of bots, right? Mm -hmm. Where if I look at from an evolution of, of what that really means to me, you know, we maybe 10 or 15 years ago, we were still really in the client server phase. Then we, we saw a lot of architecture go towards service oriented architecture, SOA. And then we saw uh, over the last couple of years really going to microservices. And really what this evolution here of what they were saying with bots being more interactive is really kind of like something akin to microservices, but maybe like an abstraction even on top of them, where we're gonna see that within our text messaging on our phones. We're gonna see that within Skype. Like we're gonna see that within Word or Outlook or like, and we, and we as developers can now start writing bots for those as well. Like that's, that's I think can be a potential game changer. Yeah, the way they were showing the ability to take natural language and actually act upon it was, was really amazing. And as a developer, it opens up a whole new realm of possibilities for not only your app, but maybe even your development process. I was talking to somebody earlier and I, I jokingly said, file new project may look like the stone age. One day we might just say to our computer, you know, Cortana, start me a new ASP.NET something application with these features. Right, and I should have tied that together with what Ed was saying, but the, so the bots would be the, the specific pieces of code that we would write that would enable uh, that would process that natural language uh, to, to do what he was just saying. And so really uh, the coolest feature, I agree with you, and, and what, what brought up this topic was they showed how you can set up a rules engine really easily, you like just kind of drag and drop, click on some words, and you can record them. So really you could set up some of those uh, sentences that or phrases that you're expecting without even having to write some code. So that, that looked really impressive. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm expecting somebody to listen to this and, and tie this into a yeoman generator. You know, <laughs> just say, yeah. Cortana, I want a Node.js application right? <laughs> with, without left pad, please. You know, <laughs> well, go, go so ahead. Sam. Like to the layman, explain this to me. Um, all of this is running in Azure, in the cloud. Like all of your rules engine is in the cloud. The cognitive services in the cloud. Um, are the bots running Node.js, C-sharp, combination? Uh, so the no, or, so the bots that we are going to write, we can write them as whatever, okay. right? So uh, I, do, I don't think that there's going to be limitations on that, um, and I'm not sure what Microsoft did for theirs. Right. But uh, I would assume that um, you know, as long as there's a RESTful API, we, we should be able right. to do it in whatever. And ideally, we should be able to write the bots once and have them shared between different types of applications across platforms. Yes, like right. more in that microservice vein, right? Right. Yes. So, I mean, I, have, I write an app for the pizza store, it doesn't matter if you're using a mobile phone, web, desktop app, you should be able to be serviced by the bot. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, that ultimate reusability there. It, it, it's interesting because, you know, going back, a, was it a week or two where we had the MPM kind of fiasco with uh, left pad, left pad, right? And <clears throat> so when we look at that and some, you know, there's a lot of people on both sides of the fence and a lot of people are saying, well, this is kind of, uh, the worst case scenario of microservices or, or micro packages where everyone's including, you know, 11 lines of code. But at the same time, like you can go both ways because you can say, well, yeah, but that's now 11 lines of code that you don't have to write. It's well tested. It can save time. So 
the, you know, reusability is definitely one of the software engineering principles we like to take advantage of. It's how granular do you want to get? What's that fine line? Yeah, yeah right. that's right. So Scott Hanselman, you know, is bringing up Node. Scott Hanselman in today's keynote also mentioned um, with a game, and I can't remember the game that he was demoing, but he mentioned that they were running it uh, on ASP.NET Core and that it was six times faster than what they had tried to do the same thing in Node.js. Yeah, so they have been at this for a while. So the um, Kestrel yes. web server, which serves up ASP.NET Core um, service requests back and forth, they've been at this for like over a year now. Um, if you think about where ASP.NET was before they started doing all of that, it's it's a monolithic thing. Yeah. And it included a lot more things that like authentication and all of this stuff and uh, handlers and all of that, which you didn't need for a just a straight up HTTP call. Now they have tried shedding all of that stuff and down to the absolute basics that you can get. And I think Hanselman was showing off today, it's uh, several million per second is what they can serve up. Just flat out that's HTTP requests. That's, that's speedy. Yeah, yeah. And so they are kind of now getting at par with some of the lightweight Node.js and other web servers uh, in terms of just pure um, bandwidth and how much they can do. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's exciting. It, I still look at it as that's a... I think a lot of the enterprise web devs um, are, are going to have a little bit of a, a of a battle switching from even MVC stuff right now in today's world to to the new ASP core stuff. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I mean, Ed and me are seeing a lot of this personally. So uh, they are moving your cheese a little bit, and it was needed. But I, I agree. I yeah, agree. but I mean, it's 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 something for the future because you cannot just like hold back yourself because you just you're just comfortable with something and not get on the bus to the future i i agree i'm excited i i think it's the right move i think you know in particularly uh, or in particular i think a lot of people the first thing they're going to see is like web config right because that's one of the kind of mainstays but after going through and, and doing the new json project files and and how composable it is it's it, i like it a lot yeah. better yeah, it's you know more it, it's more more flexible more yeah. powerful it's very nice uh but one of the big hiccups i think we're gonna see and it's because i get this question asked a lot and and this happens every time we change platforms in a major way for example when we went from web forms to asp.net mvc it's the question of how do i migrate my existing uh asp.net you know MVC two, three, four application to MVC six, and there's no clear cut dry path. And I, I just misspoke and said MVC six. It's now actually ASP.NET Core 1. and the component M is going to be uh, yeah. MVC one. No, I think I mean once it RTMs, which might be a while. Uh, I mean it. I mean they have open sourced the whole thing, and we can see the challenges. They have community stand up, so they talk about stuff. It might be a few more months. Um, this is brand new. This is kind of ground up. So I'm sure Microsoft will have some migration stories but it is very new the runtimes like the system.webdll is gone so um, if you are using like mvc4 or 5 you might have a better migration story you might be able to reuse some of your code assets clean up some of the namespaces but the underlying stuff is just so different yeah in my, in my experience at this up to this point ha, um has been that doing most of the web stuff already i think is fairly stable and, and, and pretty nice the, the challenges I've had more with in the last couple months have been with the security pieces with it and with Entity Framework 7 or Entity Framework yeah, Core 1.0. Yeah. Like, it's now getting those integration with other kind of sub 
areas of, of your application. And I think once those get hammered out, I think it will really right. be ready yeah, for yeah. I think they tried handling just the core of it first and then Correct. authentication, entity framework, SignalR, all of these things will slowly come together and it'll be a better story. Yeah. But I mean, it's, uh, it's no small effort what they did. They rewrote .NET and the whole engine of what's supporting ASP.NET from the ground up. And yeah. And so, you know, I, I didn't know if we were going to get into this today, but we've, we've hit a wide variety of topics. And so, you know, we're talking about .NET going open source. We've, we've touched on a lot of topics they've talked about here at, during the keynotes at Build 2016. Uh, this morning, announcement about Xamarin. Yeah. Xamarin included as free with even the Visual Studio Community Edition. Which is pretty huge. That is very huge. And I think this was, um, this was one of the pain points for .NET developers. I mean, we always knew that Xamarin is a great way for you to go cross-platform if you're, are, if you're comfortable with .NET and C-Sharp and Visual Studio, but the price was a it was. deterrent. And uh, now uh, it really opens the door for everybody to jump on the Xamarin bandwagon. Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting because the price argument you know, just to, to put it out there, was like nine nine hundred or a thousand dollars per platform per dev. Yep. So you're basically saying eighteen hundred to two thousand dollars per year per dev, right. so that you can hit iOS and Android. Well, it, in the grand scheme of things, you're already paying more than that, most likely for your Visual Studio MSDN license, right? Yeah. But so, like, if you're really doing something where that app is important for a business, it's not too much to spend. However. Now we don't even have to have that argument anymore. Right. I mean, now it's just there. Yeah, it's indie <laughs> developer. Just go at it. It's, right. it's all free. And I think it's going to have some interesting implications going forward as to what happens with Mono. So we know Xamarin runs on Mono, and they have open sourced a few more things about the mobile-specific renderings in Mono. Um, do you envision Mono eventually being ripped out and being replaced by .NET Core? I do. Um, I do because when we look at, along with Roslyn, uh, so Miguel uh, had some time on stage today, and he showed a thing. I want to say it was like a it was interesting. Xamarin it was a, Inspector, I think it was, it was a called. Doc. It was a document generator running on Roslyn, so it understood your C# -sharp syntax, and somehow they had a simulator, iOS and Android, picking up the code from the docs and running it live. Right, and so that's got to be using the Roslyn REPL. So I, I, I'm, I'm almost positive that that's, that's what, what's got to happen in order for you to see, like, okay, I'm going to change the color of my button to green in the Xamarin Inspector, if I got the name right, and all of a sudden it changes in the emulator without you having to restart or even your app, let alone the emulator. So that, that's, um, that's pretty cool. But to get to your question then, when we start looking at with Microsoft owning it, and they already have an open source language and they have an open source compiler, I don't see the life of Mono as a necessity uh, a couple years down the road. Right. I mean, it might still go on as its own True. Uh, open source thing, and it's got its own community followers. But if you look at it from a Microsoft standpoint, you have the whole .NET framework, 4.5, going forward. You have the .NET Core, and you have Mono. I mean, it's just too many things for them to maintain. So I see like them yeah. trying to collaborate the whole thing into one. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see that. It, it, and a lot of people, when they say, like, the whole .NET framework, you know, I usually like to, to call out, that means ASP.NET. That means Entity Framework. You know, like, I, I like to just kind of call those out because a lot of people think of, like, .NET sometimes as just, like, the language or some of the other libraries. And really, what we just heard today with Microsoft giving it away for free and now open sourcing Xamarin, it really is the entire Microsoft platform as really open source there. 
that's that's astounding from what we were, were thinking five six years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting open source world at Microsoft, and you know, they're there. We heard it yesterday. We are, they're really trying to make sure Windows is home for most developers. And I mean, who could have imagined like the Linux uh, Ubuntu Bash running on Windows? Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. So yeah. I I did a lot of Linux and Unix uh, in high school and college, and so. I, I, you know, my Visual Studio still has VI key bindings. Nice. Um, so, you know, if other developers sit down and try to do something. Hardcore. They're They're just like, what's going on here, you know? But um, so when, when we look at it, you know, particularly where I've been using a lot of PowerShell uh, to do some stuff in Azure automation. And, and that's great. PowerShell is great. It has a lot of good commandlets there. But there's also times where I've been using the Azure uh, RESTful API. Right. And you know, writing bash scripts or other things from Linux in order to take care of that. And because you know, some things are, you know, whether they're libraries or the target audience, like you just need Linux sometimes to do that. Sure. And, and the fact now that we can have native support for bash yeah. as well as the Ubuntu, um, you know, because bash by itself wouldn't be much good. You got to have like, you know, the essentially the GNU or, or the Ubuntu uh, command. So I'm not quite sure where they're pulling those from, if they're the base Ubuntu or Debian um, but wherever we're getting like, you know, LS and grep and, right, and whatnot. Right? right. So now on windows, I have that native support, which is phenomenal. So yeah, now yeah. I can use PowerShell or bash. And again, it's just Microsoft saying, Hey, use our stuff. Use, you, you know, whatever it may be. Just here we are as a platform trying to make it the best for you. And I think it's, it's working. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I need to learn more about this myself, but from what I heard, and we we're talking to Hanselman about this, it's not a virtualization. It's running natively. Correct. And there is apparently a mapping layer that maps the Linux kernel commands to Windows runtime executables. Yes. And they, cool. they actually worked with Conical on this. Yes. So it's not some hack or... Some Canonical. Third, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Um, it's not some third-party thing. They're actually going straight to the source on these. Yeah. Yeah. It's impressive. Yeah, it was funny. One of the guys uh, in the keynote this morning had said the first time he had ever installed Linux was after he joined Microsoft. Yeah, it was Donovan yeah. Brown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was that okay? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean the the whole DevOps story is also interesting to me because I mean for the longest part, like we developers have just said, oh, yeah, we're just gonna write the code. You deal with the whole infrastructure and the build process. Now it's kind of home. Now you get to script it. Now you get to just stand up VMs and just do it yourself. Yeah. So you know they they showed what Donovan was showing was the. Uh, some of the continuous integration and the continuous deployment. And I can speak to already have done Xamarin apps uh, in checking into VSTS, which was formerly Visual Studio Online. That was the biggest misnamed thing ever. It was, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and Sam and I told them before it was ever even released. Yeah, We're like, no, don't name people. that, no. But so they, they have it now, Visual Studio Team Services. But so for the last several months, I you know, myself on one project and another team in my company where we're checking it in, building a hockey app in the cloud through VSTS. Um, I've played around with the release management as a service. Uh, we don't have that hooked up yet, but looking forward to doing that. I have used release management on-prem. So like having those all as the software as a service kind of thing, where I don't need to worry about maintaining and keeping the services of my continuous integration and deployment up, and that, that's great. Yeah. Now, you, you you mentioned Hockey App. Can you just quickly explain what that is for oh, us? Oh, yeah, yeah. So m I think it was a, maybe a little less than a year ago, uh, Microsoft purchased a, a company called Hockey App. So the website, I think, is hockeyapp.com. And if you go there, you now, I think, get a free account uh, with up to four apps. And then if you have MSDN, I think you get different benefits. But basically what that means is 
you get a QA UAT staging environment for mobile apps. And so if you have an iOS, Android, Windows phone, you can upload them and then only distribute them to the people that you want to distribute. So like your non-dev devices, right? So like if you have, you know, 15 business users that you need to get in their app so they can test, but you don't want it to be in the public store, you can do that with Hockey App. And the really nice thing about it is uh, it'll, it'll track the crashes and what users are doing with different versions. So then in the cloud portal, you can go in there and see the call stack and when and how things happened and do different configurations. So then you actually uh, you know, are able to troubleshoot when you're in that UAT process. Yeah, and I think this morning they were showing how uh, Xamarin has its own uh, test cloud yes, where it's it like does. hundreds of devices and you can run your app on concurrently on all of that. I think that's in now starting to integrate with Hockey App so you get better analytics of what's happening. Yeah, and you know, with with the Xamarin stuff, I, I think it's that they have they support I think it's like a thousand a little over a thousand devices. Yeah. Now on iOS you only need what, six or eight? But right. Android <laughs> for the phone at least. Yeah. Right? But but so the majority of those are Android. And so I've done some research with some of my clients to try and say, okay, how can we offer a full test of even Android four dot one and up? And you're like, I we can't buy all those and then put all the different versions of Android on it. So, right. you know, having that ability in the cloud and to automatically execute, you know, written tests, whether you want to call them unit tests or integration tests, whatever, th that's that's a powerful thing. Yeah, and uh, you know, like out of your thousand users, two of them have that old uh, three-year-old right. Android. You can't just let them go. Right. And one of the things we haven't mentioned yet either is the fact that they showed an iOS emulated device right in Visual Studio. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. And I'm not really sure how they're doing it. I mean, it looks like an iOS simulator, but I mean, it still doesn't get you around having to have a Mac because that's just an Apple requirement. You yeah, can't get around that. You still have to use a Mac to package it up. But the fact that un until you have to deploy your app, you can still build and deploy to a simulator in Windows, that's pretty nice. That was, that was pretty impressive. And I've heard people actually say that the Android simulator within Visual Studio is actually much better oh, than yeah, the actual for Android. sure. Uh, yeah. it, it is, and, and I see the long term as probably being the Hyper-V based Android emulator taking over the, Zam or the Xamarin player. A, a little short history on that. The Xamarin player is really a fork of uh, Jenny Motion, yep. which used to be open source and then was bought and now costs for professional stuff, free for open source. But so from that original fork, that's where Xamarin made Xamarin Player, which is good, but it's based on VirtualBox. Nothing wrong with VirtualBox, but if you're doing cross-platform mobile dev and you've got Hyper-V on Windows already, you don't want to have competing virtualization technologies. So by having a Windows Phone Hyper-V emulator and an Android Hyper-V emulator, you can run them side by side without issue now. Yeah, and I mean, the Hyper-V things are nice, but they do bring your computer down to its knees sometimes. <laughs> yeah, none of the virtualization technology is perfect, yeah. um, but, you know, unifying them. I, I have had success running VirtualBox and Hyper-V side by side, but it's really tricky, especially when it comes to the networking. If you have any kind of network calls or anything going on, you want to make sure that the, the shared resources are, it's a little difficult to get right. Yeah. You know, I think overall, um, what I'm taking away from this build is how Polyglot 
mentality is uh, kind of all throughout Microsoft developers and they're encouraging it. And it really doesn't matter what device you're on, what your computer is, what your phone is, you should be able to build for any platform from inside Visual Studio. And you have these um, future-facing devices like HoloLens and all of the IoT things that are coming up that kind of stretches your code and takes it to places that it's never been. I, you, you said that very well. I, I agree. I think it, it's coming down to kind of three things. One is use our tools on any platform um, for, for writing apps uh, and consuming stuff. So we see Office on multiple platforms. We see Visual Studio on multiple platforms. Then I see Azure, obviously. Use Azure as our back end. I see Office for productivity gains, you know, Office 365. And then you know, I guess a fourth one definitely include is Xbox, you know, but that's kind of a usually its own type of thing. But, um, yeah, between those kind of things, you know, especially that first point, like you were elaborating on, use our tools, any platform, um, by, by not just saying here's our tools on those platforms, but by even bringing Bash into Windows. Like, they're going both ways with that. Uh, I, it makes it exciting. Yeah, exciting thanks for sure. Well, Greg, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate it. Yeah, I think we uh, we, we scattered around quite a bit, but uh, enjoyed the discussion. So thanks yeah. for having me. Yep. Thank All right. Thanks, Ed.